Good morning, everyone. So it, the series has been a little scattered, but we have spent some time this year, four weeks, uh, four weeks discussing finding financial freedom. And four times we've had interviews with folks from the congregation here on the platform who live in financial freedom. I learned they give to the causes they want to give to. And they don't owe money to anyone except perhaps on their house. They work at the jobs they want to work at. And if they want to quit and move on, they quit. Because they aren't tied to a mountain of bills and debt. They serve God and they live without fear. And that's financial freedom. When you serve God and you live without fear, that's just freedom. But sometimes it happens that you lose it. It's happened to you. Uh, It's happened to me. You have freedom and then you lose it. You get into a danger zone and you make a misstep or you make a bad decision and you lose the freedom you have. It is the most horrible, defeating feeling to wind up right back in the hole where you started. The Bible is full of this theme of finding freedom and then going back into chains. Take the, uh, the story of the Exodus, although we'll actually be reading from Numbers. Um, the people of Israel had been freed from slavery in Egypt and they're crossing the wilderness and they find that they are about to be attacked by an enemy tribe out there in the desert. And they have a panic moment in the danger of being attacked. And some of them actually wish to go back to slavery. Here it is in Numbers 14. Then the whole community began weeping aloud and they cried all night. Their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. If only we had died in Egypt or even here in the wilderness, they complained. Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? Then they plotted amongst themselves. Let's choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. In the face of being attacked by this tribe out in the wilderness, they actually make a plan to take themselves and their families and their future generations and put them back into slavery. The Bible is full of this theme of finding freedom and then going back into chains. So we've spent these four weeks scattered through the year finding financial freedom. What we don't want to come out of this is that we take all these steps to to free our mind and align our hearts and walk with God and break free of the slavery of debt and then have it all undone and get right back into all of it. That's what we don't want. The Gospel of Luke has this really scary story. It says, When an evil spirit leaves a person, it goes into the desert searching for rest. But when it finds none, it says, I'll return to the person I came from. So it returns and finds that its former home is all swept and in order. Then the spirit finds several, seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they all enter the person and live there. And so that person is worse off than before. That's a terrifying story. That's terrible. Nobody wants that. So this morning is all about being equipped to keep hold of whatever freedom God has brought you. And it starts with knowing the places where you're likely to get into trouble. 
So the first half of the message is about knowing the danger zones. The second part will be about the survival techniques we have to get through them. But let's start with finding these danger zones. First one is success itself. The first danger zone is actually success itself. Now, this idea that success is a danger zone is actually nothing new. Um, I first read it when I was reading John Wesley. John Wesley from the 1700s, founder of Methodism, eventually the Methodist Church. He, uh, the Methodists at that time, had a powerful ministry for particularly the rural poor and urban alcoholics, folks like that. And they would uh, share with them the way of Christ. And he would observe what he called evangelical lift. And here's what would happen. These folks would learn the way of Christ. They would learn discipline. They would learn who they are. They would learn prayer and piety. And it would uh, not just give them a better relationship with God. It would make them more reliable and dependable to themselves, to their family, and to their employers. Their employers could count on them more, trust them with more. They would be advanced when they did get paid. They wouldn't just spend it all on vices. And they would begin to have a new life financially. And John Wesley called it evangelical lift. And once they experienced it, he said right about then is when they would forget. They would begin to be be distracted from the things of God and from church and from all the things that had gotten them there in the first place. Success itself was a danger zone. Actually, that idea goes back even further than the 1700s. Jesus described it in a story he told in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12. Then Jesus said, Beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Then he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. And he said to himself, What should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and I'll say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now, take it easy. Eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you've worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. You know, in America, the social class which gives the most, both in terms of real dollars and percentage of what they earn, is the rich. The rich, both in terms of real dollars and pie percentage of income, give the most. It's a stereotype to say that they don't. But surprisingly, the second most giving social class in America is the poor. The poor give the second most, both in terms of real dollars and by percentage of their income. Surprisingly, the least giving group in America is the middle class. Now, having traversed all of these classes, I believe I can tell you why. When you're poor, when you have like five bucks left at the end of the week that didn't get used for something, What can you do with five bucks that really matters? Except give it away to someone who doesn't have five bucks. Because if you save five bucks for a whole year, at the end of the year, you'll have $260. Well, $260 is not going to change your life after saving for a whole year. 
not as much as having given it away week by week to someone who didn't even have $5. That's going to fill you up. All right. The rich. If you have $500 left at the end of every week, you couldn't find something to do with. Now, if you saved $500 a week, you'd have $26,000 by the end of the year. Now, you know what that means. You got $26,000 knocking around you didn't spend on something. You're going to be paying some taxes. You need to find something to give to unless you just want to make a donation to Uncle Sam. Even if you did buy something with your $26,000 you saved every year, what are you going to get with $26,000? Well, how about a whole car? Okay. How about some cool lawn tractors and like a fleet of lawn equipment to cut the grass and people to do it for me? Awesome. A boat? Sure. Okay. Uh, cool, you know, things to put on trailers and ride around in the Ozarks. This is all good. Are you going to do this every single year for the rest of your life till you finally have to build $26,000 butler buildings to hold it all? You see what happens here? I hope you're not going to eat $26,000 of extra groceries every year. Giving seems right when you're rich. But let's talk about the middle class. Let's talk about these folks who have $50 left at the end of the week. A a middle class amount. You save that for a year, that's $2,600. $2,600 is a really cool annual family vacation. $26 is a totally awesome cable, internet, and phone plan for everyone in the house. $2,600 a year is awesome clothes. $2,600 a year is a down payment on a motorcycle or a boat. $2,600 is a deck or a patio if you do some of it yourself. Do you see the middle class temptation of accumulating $50 a week and all the things you can do with it for the rest of your life? When you're poor, God is all you've got. And when you're rich... Being grateful makes sense unless you just want to be an Ebenezer Scrooge, you know, and just have the big pile you can Scrooge McDuck dive into at the end of the year. But being middle class, that's just enough money to distract you from God. That's where you have to be careful not to be building yourself bigger and bigger barns. So success itself is a danger zone. Here's another danger zone. Depression. Seasons of anxiety and depression can get you into a place where you can lose the freedom God has given you. Because when we're anxious and depressed, various ones of us have various methods to medicate our anxiety and our depression. How many of us uh, medicate our anxiety and depression by controlling our space? You get anxious and depressed, you start cleaning incessantly. Show of hands, who does it? Oh yeah, I'm right there with you. You get me worried enough, I can clean the entire first floor of the house in one weekend. How many of us uh, deal, medicate our uh, depression and anxiety by controlling our time, our schedule? We start making lists of things to do. We start making lists of lists that we need to make. Who starts controlling your time to medicate your anxiety and depression? Yes. Some of us control our anxiety and depression by eating. There's nothing we're worried about that a pint of ice cream can't make us feel a little bit better. Don't have to do the show of hands on that one. Some of us medicate our anxiety and depression by sleeping. We just sleep it off. Sunday morning, we start attending Bedside Baptist with Pastor Pillow and Sister Sheets. <laughs> I would do a show of hands, but you're not here. Or you're having a really good week. And some of us medicate our anxiety and depression by 
buying stuff. We go out and buy stuff. Retail therapy. I heard the term this year in my small group, but everybody else said, oh, that's old. That's been around a while. Retail therapy. Now, every single one of these medications has a side effect and a backlash. The house doesn't stay clean. The schedule doesn't stay organized. The scale wags its little red finger at you for eating that pint of ice cream. You wake up from your nap to a world crumbling from your inattention, and the thing you bought ceases to make you feel better. And if you put it on a credit card, it actually compounds your anxiety and depression and makes it worse. Depression is a danger zone. We'll talk about how to navigate these, but we're just finding where the danger zones are. Here's one. Friends in high places or low places. Friends in high places or low places is a danger zone. Being friends with people who make a lot more money than you do can get you into trouble and steal your freedom. Because they eat out at expensive places that you would never normally eat at under normal circumstances. They go to the lake and they gas up their many toys. Friends in high places go snow skiing. Do you know you can put a kid through college for what it costs to take a family to snow ski for a weekend? Small exaggeration. Not much. Um, And during this relationship with someone who makes a lot more money than you do, there are so many ways that you can have your dignity stolen from you. For instance, if they offer to pay for everything, then that makes you feel like the little poor orphan child. And if you don't chip in along the way, you feel like the freeloader. So you start chipping in and and you start going along and then pretty soon you you know what you realize? I can't afford this stuff. No, I, I can't afford to do this stuff if I stop giving. If I stop uh, saving. If I stop being such a disciplined stick in the mud or planning for some future that's probably never going to happen. Anyway, why don't I just live a little now? So you get out your, your platinum Visa card and you just live it up and you just play with the big kids and it's so much fun, especially during that week in the Caribbean. But boy, do you regret it later when the bills come. Now, I was going to save how to navigate these danger zones until the end, but this one bugs us, right? This one makes it sound like we're saying you can't be friends with someone who makes more money than you do. So we're going to go ahead and do the this, this survival for this one right now so you don't just sit there and, and just stew. Because one of the most beautiful things about the church is it's probably the only place in our culture that brings the rich and the poor together. So let's not ruin that. All right, here's, here's, here's how you survive this danger zone. You just got to be careful as you begin to associate with people who make a lot more or a lot less than you do and be like, okay, this is where trouble could happen. And so you have to pray. You have to pray about this relationship and find the strength within yourself, the strength to say, no, I can't do that. And don't fall prey to the false feelings of inadequacy and envy that the devil brings you when you have to be the say no guy. Or the say no girl. You know that little voice whispers, oh, see, you're inadequate. You don't provide for your family as well as they do. You're no fun. You've got to learn to see yourself as making strong, positive choices because you have wisdom and you want to receive the freedom that God has for you. And you're happy for them that they can do that. You can't. That's wisdom. And if you're rich, 
And if you're rich and you'd like to be the type of Christian, rich person who can have friends of all kinds, then you've got to learn to tone it down. Ask other people what they'd like to do for fun. And then you've got to prepare your face muscles. Okay, get them really loose and relaxed. Because you're going to say to your friend who doesn't make as much as you do, what do you want to do? And they're going to say, let's go eat at Culver's because I have a coupon. And then let's go to the off-peak showing of Avengers Affinity War. At that moment, do not make that face. Do not make that rich person face that says, fast food and a theater movie? That would cost like $70. If I had $70, I'd use it for an extra tank of gas when I rent a snowmobile at Lake Tahoe this winter. Stop it! They're going to hand you a Ziploc of popcorn they popped at home. You are going to hide it in your $400 jacket and you're going to go see Infinity Wars and not make the face. Poor friends can be just as much trouble. Poor friends can be just as much trouble if they're irresponsible. If they're waving credit cards and having a good old time not taking care of anything that they're actually responsible for, like their kids, like their bills, like their own health, like their marriage. Follow them around and you're likely to wind up just as broke as they are. Proverbs in the Old Testament 13.20 warned us about this. It said, walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get into trouble. So at Lakeland, we are building a community of fully authentic followers of Jesus Christ. That's our mission. That's what we all show up for. That's what we're all doing. That's our mission. You know what? Let's just say it together. What are we doing here? We're building a community of authentic followers of Jesus Christ. So we come together. We study the Word of God together. We do things that change the world together. And yes, we have fun together. Rogue One. What a fantastic men's night. I won with the force and the force is with me. But we do it and it's free. But we do it in ways. We do it in ways that don't cause anyone to lose the freedom God has given them. We take others and their situation into account in this community. Even when we're deciding simple things like where are we going to eat out for lunch after church today? Japanese steakhouse? Can everyone you're inviting do that? Maybe we need to go to Dairy Queen. Good Christian people own Dairy Queen. Maybe we just need to go back to our own house and eat the leftovers of the food we cooked last night and could have eat it all. It's all on the table. Look around. Who are you inviting? There. That's how we navigate, how we navigate that danger zone. And come out with our freedom and our friendships and the church community intact. Let's learn some other danger zones. Two more. Time. Time is your enemy. Time is another danger zone because it is so easy to be excited about financial freedom when you're in the middle of the crisis. And as the crisis begins to unwind and you start to catch some breath, easy. Year or two after that, this thing starts to leak. These values start to leak like carrying around a bucket of water with holes punched in it. It gets easier the more time passes to just slowly slide back into your old ways. Find yourself back in a hole and say, how did I get here? Well, a little at a time. And our last danger zone for today, envy. 
One of the seven deadly sins. Envy is a danger zone. That nagging feeling. That people who work half as hard as you have it twice as good. And you've about had enough of all this discipline and spending plans. And you're going to have what's yours. Envy is especially dangerous if you use your children as that source of envy. Well, I just have to live life now. There's no way my kid should have to do without while that person who's totally buying it with a credit card has it. Here, you have one too. You know, envy. Envy is a danger zone. So there are some of the danger zones. Now, what survival techniques do we have? We're all going to pass through these, probably all of them. What survival techniques do we have to get through them with the freedom intact? These are the big danger zones I see with Christian people. So we need to be equipped so we don't find ourselves planning our trip back into slavery in Egypt. So we don't come back to our house someday and find the house we just got in order, now occupied by the same old demon plus seven of his ugly friends. And the first survival technique is community. Community is the biggest. The biggest and the most powerful. To me, this is uh, one of the most important things community is. Is a place where you come and live out God's values in your life among people who will not criticize you, will not laugh at you, will not put you down, and will not try to persuade you to go back to business as usual in this world. So after this service today, when you stand out in the lobby and you say to a friend, you know, I realize I used to be more generous when I had less money. I want to get back to that place where I was more generous. You you should be surrounded out there by people who pat you on the back and say, you go for that. That is an honorable goal. Because you know you say a line like that at work. You say a line like that at your family's Memorial Day picnic. I want to get back to the place where I was more generous. Somebody there might try to talk you out of it. Some people say, no, 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 we don't do that. Remember, we look out for number one. That's super important. That won't happen here. When you say you're depressed, when you say you're tempted, in the church community, you shouldn't have somebody say, Girlfriend, you just need some new shoes. Get out your plutonium visa and let's go. No, they should say, I'm praying for you. You are right not to be tempted. In fact, don't don't be alone today. Let's go have lunch. In fact, I made a bunch of tacos last night. Let's just go eat leftovers at my house, okay? Let's stay together. You're in a bad spot. The rich and the poor serve together in the church of Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful thing. The church is not a slum. The church is not a country club. We hang out together and we enjoy things together without looking down on people and without envying. I go on ski trips with my friends. I go on ski trips with my friends and I rent snowshoes. If you've never snowshoed on a ski mountain, it is pretty much the live version of Skyrim, the Elder Scroll V. Little red and blue flowers to pick and all of it. It's all true. That's a video game for those of you who aren't keeping up. But then in the evening, we all go back to the cabin. And I'm so glad that I didn't spend two and a half million dollars on ski rental and lift tickets. We all go back to the cabin, and I'm happy that they did what they did. I'm happy to have done 
what I did, and then we play board games together, and we drink hot chocolate, and we share old stories, and our kids hang out and make up hand clap games, and all the stuff we would normally do. And I'm happy, and they're happy, and we're all together. Community is one of your strongest survival techniques. Next survival technique, re-clarifying our values often. Re-clarifying our values often. And you can start with this simple thing. When you're putting together your family spending plan and you have to cut things out of it, stop saying, we don't have enough money for that. We can't afford that. That's not even true. That's not even true. People that make less than you are buying those things, aren't they? People that make less than you are buying those things. So that's not even true. Instead, say, say it this way. We're saying no to that to say yes to this. We don't do that because we do this. We're not about that because we're about this. See how that clarifies your values and it's truthful and it gives your kids an identity. It gives you an identity, a positive identity. For the many uh, first several years of our marriage, uh, Ashley and I, my wife, we would uh, stay at her family's house in the Ozarks once a year and spend all weekend making our family budget for the next year and reminding ourselves what's important, what's still important, what's not as important to us as it was last year, reminding ourselves who we are, who we're not. If things got a little tense, then we took a break and we hiked a trail together. If things got really intense, then we took a break and we hiked two different trails separately. (laughs) And we prayed. And God always brought us back together at mealtime. And come to church every Sunday that you can. And be reminded of this freedom that no one else in our world seems to be talking about anymore. Re-clarifying our values often reminds us of the truth. And our last survival technique is prayer. Only God can guide you. Pray without ceasing. This is a journey that we're all on. There's a big map in the lobby that pretty much says the spiritual life is a journey and you're on it. And you only have one guide, Jesus Christ. And this is actually the frustrating thing about Christianity. Once you get into it, there's a lot less rules than you were thinking. See, a lot of people outside the church are like, oh, the church and Christianity, so many rules. Not true when you get inside, right? There's actually a frustrating lack of rules. Because this would be so much easier if I would just stand up here and say, look, Christians make this much money, and Christians give this much money, and Christians save this much money. There. There are cults that will do that for you. And that's what makes cults so popular. You ever wonder, why do educated, like normal, modern society people get involved in a cult? Because cults are so clear. You don't have to make any decisions. They just tell you, this is what you make, this is what you save, this is what you earn, the rest conveniently goes to me. And so that's, cults work because they're so clear. You don't have to think and decide and do all that praying. Now, they always go bad when the leader decides he's going to you know, take your wife and everybody's going to drink poison Kool-Aid. So, so that's kind of a drag, but um, cults bring clarity. But unfortunately, I think fortunately, the real God, the living God, who interacts with real people and living people, Taylor makes every spiritual journey to the current skill level, strengths, and weaknesses of the traveler. So when I was in my 20s, 
Everyone in Lakeland community lived in a small or smaller house than we did. And none of us had cable TV, so we could all give and build a church in this community. You know, that's what we were all doing, building a community of authentic followers of Jesus Christ. Give, give, give to build a community of authentic followers of Jesus Christ. We were all about that. No one was about anything except that. But as we entered our late 30s, early 40s, started to notice people younger than me who made less money than I do starting to get bigger houses. And I said, wait a minute. Is that allowed? And I went to God. And I went angry. And I prayed, what gives? They're breaking the rules. And the word of God came to me and said, four words. What's that to you? Now, I don't know what you hear when you hear the words, what's that to you? But I heard it as the four words Jesus said in the last chapter of the Gospel of John. When Peter heard that he was going to die for the sake of the gospel, and he points to the disciple behind him and goes, what about him? I have to die. What about him? And Jesus says, what's that to you? Meaning some people are called to a long life, and some people are called to a short life. And as I heard those words in my prayer, I began to understand some people's Christian life happens in a big house and some people's Christian life happens in a small house. And some are called to foreign missions and some are called to share Christ with their own neighbors in the suburbs and it is all the kingdom of God. There's not a corner of the world where God doesn't belong. Well, it wasn't good enough for me, so I kept praying my angry prayer, in which case the Holy Spirit began to bring me questions like, would you like a big house full of dozens of guests to entertain every Friday night? Uh, Not especially. Do you want friends and relatives living with you in your extra bedrooms while they get back on their feet? My relatives? No. Would you like to downsize to a one-bedroom apartment and have a hide-a-bed for your two teenagers so you can really give to God in a real way? Heck no. (laughs) Then get back to your three-bedroom, one-and-a-half bath and serve the Lord and be happy. Stop nosing around in everybody else's journey. The Spirit said to me, Garrett, you barely have enough wisdom to manage your own spiritual journey without having to try to manage everybody else's. And so for the last seven years, that's what I do. And in that place, I have found that I am happy. I mean it. I I am really, really happy. And I'm free. I can't stand up here and dictate to you what is the square footage of a real Christian home. And I can't dictate to you under what circumstances may a Christian own a boat. And under what circumstances may a Christian not own a boat? I can't do that. But God can. And he will if you let him. And if you obey him, if you obey God with what you hear, you can have much without shame and you can have little without envy. And that's freedom. And you can have much without shame or little without envy. That's freedom. 
When I asked my father-in-law for permission to marry Ashley, he just had one piece of advice, which the way he said it kind of sounded like a condition. I said, I'd like to ask Ashley to marry me. He said, I think that'd be just fine, but get in a church and stay in a church. That's all he had to say. I think he knew this is where community is found. This is where values are re-clarified often. And this is where you learn to pray and to hear from God. This is where all the survival techniques for the journey you need are found. And with those three, with those three you can be free and never go back to slavery in Egypt. And with those three, you can be free. Because when Jesus casts the devil out of your house, he does not return with seven more devils to reoccupy. He never comes back to take over again. He who the Son has freed is free indeed. Also the Gospel of John. Amen. Well, I have some folks from the congregation who uh, are on this journey toward financial freedom. So I wanted to welcome Luke Salisbury, now your wife Emily, was in the first service, but she is in the full participating members class right now, along with a a lot of other people I saw. So that's cool. Um, And Luke Salisbury is also our newest staff member. He is our director of uh, multimedia. So thank you, Luke. And we have a picture of Emily. Ah! Tell us all your kids' names, because they're fantastic. Uh, Branson is on the bottom right with the awkward smile there. He was forced way too many times to smile. And then Beckett, the youngest one, is on the left. And then Charlie on the top left up there. Wonderful. Thank you. So Luke wanted to ask you, are you financially free? Uh, We are close. So we are halfway there. So we started with uh, over 100,000 about four years ago. And so we're down. Yes. Yes. And so we're about 50,000 now. So we're we're halfway. That's awesome. That's Mm -hmm. incredible. Well done. So what does financial freedom mean to you? Like, what would that allow or what does that allow? I have notes on my phone. I'm not checking my Facebook notifications. Um, uh, For us, that would allow us um, to really provide uh, options for Emily to kind of do what she wants. She has family down in Texas, which is really hard to get down there. And so she can travel down there whenever she would like. Um, And then also gives us the opportunity to uh, partake in financial challenges and just be a little bit more uh, free and available with our money. And then obviously... Um, for us, part of that was uh, moving up here and being able to take a job when we wanted to and that sort of stuff. Since everything that we've paid off, we can um, make some better financial choices that will to help us yeah. in the future. So yeah, that's freedom. That's freedom. So, what survival techniques has it taken to get you from a hundred thousand to fifty thousand in debt in four years? Um, for my wife, the biggest thing for her is we do uh, the Dave Ramsey cash envelope method, and so each. Uh, Two weeks when I get paid, I go to the bank um, and I take out cash and I say, okay, here's all our grocery money, here's our household, fun stuff, uh, pet food, all that stuff. And so I give her um, all the money and then she divides it out and then she spends that however uh, she needs to according to what we've budgeted. Um, And then that's helped because I know beforehand... Just put it on the card, and it's just easy to swipe it. You don't think about it. You don't look at it. But when we have those cash envelopes in there, we can be like, oh... We have $20 left for groceries. Where did all that money go? And so then that lesson is learned next time. We're like, oh, yeah, we got to make sure that we have enough for the next week of groceries. Yeah. And so, or you can um, even alter your spending plan. Right. Like, you know, 
The kids right. are just eating more than they used to. This number is just no longer realistic. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you can make right. alterations. So, yeah, so it, it's helpful for Emily in doing that. And for me, especially at the beginning, um, what we did is I really got her involved with the budget. Um, she never really looked at the account or anything like that. And so I showed her the account and said, okay, this is what it looks like. This is how much money I get paid. This is where all our bills go. Here's our debt snowball of everything that we're putting extra, and here's what we're using. And so helping um, her, or having her involved in that process really helped because then she wasn't texting me being like, hey, can I get this shirt? Or can I go out to eat with this? Or I need to get 65 pounds of coffee. And I was like, no, we can't. We can't do that. And so then I didn't have to be the bad guy. She could, took ownership of our budget as well. And you've even involved your kids. Yeah, so um, pretty much like what you said is said, no, we can't go to the park or we can't go to the zoo this week because we're saving our money to go to this instead. And so kind of involving that. And so they're really getting uh, in, involved with that as well because they've saved all their birthday money. and they just It's, it's important for the mm-hmm. kids to know what they're getting out of all this. Mm-hmm. Just last week, my son was like, hey, you know that money we put aside for Easter? Well, we can rent bikes on our family vacation and go on this thing. So why don't we do that? You know, he's like wheeling mm-hmm. and dealing on the budget now. Yeah. So why don't we kid- say no to this? Say yes to that, Dad. Our kids were trying to go to the Great Big Wolf Lodge <laughs> is what they call it. Okay. And so they're like, well, we're bored, we're bored in, the, in the yard. And so I'm like, well, if you want to, you can buy like a trampoline or a playset or whatever you want with it. And so they thought about two seconds. They're like, trampoline, trampoline for sure. I'm like, okay, but you realize by doing this, we're not going to go to the Great Big Wolf Lodge. And they're like, okay, I think that we'll do that. And even even go. Beckett, the youngest one, he's like, trampoline, trampoline. <laughs> so, so, yeah, awesome. so they're getting involved as well. Good, good. Well done. Well, we'd like to pray for you since you're you. halfway on your journey here. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Luke and for Emily and for their family. We pray, Lord, you would bring them miracles, that you would bless them for their dedication to you and uh, help them to be free and to take hold of the freedom that you offer to all of your children. And we uh, thank you that Luke was able to come and be a part of our staff and that that, uh, these disciplines paved the road for that to happen. It is in the name of Christ Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Well, a couple of, uh, nope, not yet. Yes, the Lord's table. The Lord's table is a reminder of, a weekly reminder as often as we do it, of the freedom God has for us. So first he gives us a prayer to pray. And you'll hear the, the notes of God's will be done in it. Let's pray this prayer together. It goes like this. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And deliver to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. He took a cup. He said, this cup is my blood of the new covenant poured out for the forgiveness of sin. So as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you remember my death until I eat and drink it with you and my Father's kingdom. So we come down and we tear off a piece of bread and we dip it in the cup and we receive this promise of eternal life and freedom from God. All you have to do is reach out and take it. Bought and paid for by Christ Jesus given to us. Amen. Therefore, uh, let's stand together. 
Therefore we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Hallelujah. The gifts of God for the people of God. Each day, may Christ be as real to you as this food and this drink. So if you'd like to come down and tear off a piece of bread, dip it in the cup and receive this promise and this freedom, you may do so now. Celebration. Amen. Um, We have also been celebrating this year um, folks who are inviting and being invited into deeper community with Christ. So I'd like to welcome Tony George. Tony George, yes, let's welcome him. Tony is going to be thanking the members of his Tuesday morning breakfast group. So if there's any members of Tony's Tuesday morning breakfast group, would you come on up here and stand with him? All right, wonderful. Hello, I'm Tony George. Um, When Lakeland first kicked off the initiative to thank uh, people who have invited you uh, to something, it was perfect timing for me because since I've joined Lakeland, there's been so many people that have uh, invited me to things and and helped me, helped us through through life and and getting to know Jesus and living that life. Um, I wrote so many thank yous I could probably fill... Uh, up this whole stage behind me, and that includes people from different men's groups, couples groups, um, Mercy Street, uh, friends, mentors, and uh, probably others. Um, For this, though, I wanted to focus on uh, the Tuesday morning men's coffee group that I'm in because uh, they helped me during some of the roughest uh, times of my life and and, in our marriage. Um, I have... uh, combat PTSD, and so if you know anyone who has it, uh, typically they don't show that they're suffering from something. Uh, It's a struggle, and those closest to them uh, will also struggle because it impacts the family as well. Um, These guys helped me through this, guided me in directions that I needed. They opened their families up to us, um, and they became brothers to me during during me and my family's probably toughest times. Um, so I wanted to say thank you to Jay Hertzler, uh, Nick Johnson, Jeff Foley, Jody Williams, Don Oster, Lenny Prestia, and Scott Bouldry, um for becoming part of my family and letting me and my family become part of theirs. Thank you. Thank you. That's a rough bunch. It's a testament to the power of God. You can find Jesus with that group. (laughs) Well, it is the Easter season. Let us stand together for our Easter benediction. This comes from the Gospel of Luke. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them while he was blessing them. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. All together. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. According to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. Forever and ever. Amen.
Hallelujah. He is risen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You never know who you invite into freedom of God. So go out this week as his agents and invite someone else into freedom. Amen.